great encouragement. Just just even looking at the words of the song and learning it, just a great just a great encouragement. Well, I invite you to go to Matthew chapter eight tonight. Matthew chapter number eight. Uh, this evening we have. Uh, exited, if you will, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Certainly that does not mean that the preaching ministry of our Lord has concluded. Uh, Far from it. But in Matthew chapter number 8, we're going to be dealing tonight with uh, the the first four verses of uh, chapter number 8. And I want to deal, kind of do a little bit different tonight and deal with a question uh, that's also a statement. And it's the question of how can a sinner obtain mercy? How can a sinner obtain mercy? Uh, In our text here in Matthew chapter 8 verses 1 through 4, uh, we'll see how a sinner obtains mercy. Beginning there in verse number 1 of Matthew 8. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way. Show thyself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. As we read this text, we see that Christ has come down from the mountain. Matthew 5 began by telling us that Jesus went up into the mountain. So this is the exiting of the Sermon on the Mount, and we are immediately uh, confronted with a leper. Uh, of course, throughout the Scripture, we know that leprosy in the Bible uh, is a type of sin. It's used throughout the Scripture to uh, show us a type of man's corruption. Uh, it also gives us an idea of man's defilement. But primarily, leprosy is also there to show us that there is a separation from God. Uh, leprosy, of course, uh, in the biblical times uh, was the, uh, we, as we could say it, it was the disease of diseases. Uh, it is the, the disease that once a person got that, it was very unlikely that they were to recover from that disease. Uh, we know that biblically, uh, they were cast out, they were separated um, I, I, I hesitate to use this term. Uh, they were, in fact, quarantined. Uh, they were separated from the rest of the public uh, because they had this illness. Uh, this illness was not something to be taken lightly. Uh, the physicians of the day would do all that they could to attempt to uh, cure this, uh, but most cases of leprosy ended up being fatal. Now, I don't find it at all coincidental, just like anything with the Word of God, anything coincidental, that the first individual that Jesus deals with when he comes down off of the mountain is a man who would have been considered to be the absolute outcast of society, a leper. Uh, It was not a Pharisee that came to him. It was not a scribe. uh, It was not a prophet. It was a leper. Now, Matthew 8 is just one of three passages that deal with this interaction. 
The other two are Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45, and Luke 5, verses 12 through 16. I'm going to make references to all three of these passages, and I'll just kind of set our expectations tonight. I do not anticipate getting through the entire account of everything we're going to look at in this story. You say it's only four verses. We should be able to blaze right through that. We're not going to blaze right through this. We are going to deal with a number of different things and looking at this leper, not only the leper's condition, but also from the standpoint of how Jesus uh, dealt with this leper. Uh, Some of the things that in this account make us even wonder and some questions that have uh, arisen over the years about whether or not Jesus acted appropriately. Uh, Now, I think we all would agree that Jesus always acted appropriately, but there have been people throughout the years who've said, "Uh, I think this might be an event where Jesus actually did something that he shouldn't have done. Uh, I would submit to you, he never did anything inappropriate. Uh, But we will talk a little bit about that. So I'm telling you that, that we're not looking to break speed records by getting through these four verses. So we're going to take these uh, in a very methodical way, uh, as is often the case when we uh, try to expound scripture. So when we see this very first verse and we realize uh, that Jesus is coming down from the mountain, I I kind of look at this as uh, this is biblical history or the biblical narrative uh, continuing. Uh, we, we in our Christian circles often draw lines or marks of change in Scripture. And I, I've talked with some of you about this. I think it happens because of the chapter breaks. Um, chapter breaks, when the, when the translators began putting the Bible together, I understood what they were doing. But sometimes our mind begins to just go to a different place and it says, wait a minute, uh, okay, new chapter, new thought, uh, we've, we're, we're no longer concerned with the Sermon on the Mount, now we're just dealing with this. Uh, sometimes these chapter breaks are unfortunate. Because we understand that this is not now Jesus doing something different. Uh, his message is not going to change. Um, uh, we realize that even as it, as it tells us, uh, there is a great multitude of people who follow him. Now, we ended last week by looking at uh, that there was not many people who really understood what Jesus was talking about when he was speaking with such authority. But yet, Jesus had an unbelievable following of people. But I think we all understand tonight that having a following of people doesn't mean that everyone following you is following you for the right reasons. Uh, we, we are in a generation of followers, right? We're in a generation of people that say, uh, you know, you, you can, uh, I heard this yesterday, you can actually now buy followers on social media. Do you realize that? You can pay a fee to have people follow you. And I thought, how absurd is that? If you're willing to give your money away that freely, just give it to me, all right? Because why would you do that? You're, you're buying followers because it somehow uh, it makes you feel better about yourself. Uh, Jesus had a lot of followers, folks. Uh, if we would have been alive the day Jesus came off of that mountain, uh, we would have been able to identify where Jesus was by just looking at the crowd of people who was behind him. The people were following him in droves, and, but most of them uh, were not there for the right reason. So what had Jesus done in the Sermon on the Mount? Well, he had given uh, probably the greatest sermon of all time. 
Uh, people often say, if I, could be, if I could hear one message from Jesus and actually hear him preach the message, what would it be? Many people are in complete agreement and say, I would, hands down, would love to have sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to him preach the Sermon on the Mount. All the doctrine that was there, everything that had gone into that sermon, and now he comes down off of the mountain and the first thing he's confronted with is what appears to be not a matter of doctrine, but a matter of practice. However, I would tell you that what he's getting ready to do is a matter of doctrine, and it also is a matter of practice. Oftentimes when we see as Jesus comes off of this mountain, we notice right away that there is a healing. Now, the healing was the number one reason why people followed Jesus was because of his ability to heal. Uh, it, it began to spread like wildfire that this man, Jesus, has the ability to heal. So much it was that people didn't even question it. They began saying, listen, I've got someone who's sick. I've got someone who needs a touch. And I, I'm, we're going to find Jesus because we know that that man can heal. Now, the reason I say that is because that's often what people immediately assume about the leper. They say, well, sure, the leper found Jesus because he had heard about his reputation. But what I want us to notice about the leper, which really struck me, is the approach in which the leper comes to Jesus. He uniquely shows us some things that even some others who came to Jesus for healing did not show. Now, I did mention to you that the same event is related by Mark and Luke. The difference in the three accounts is this. Mark and Luke do not mention the time. Uh, they don't mention when this took place. They just pick up a leper came to him. Matthew 8 tells us this was the time when Jesus came off the mountain. Uh, it may seem to be an insignificant uh, little fact there, but that is one of the differences. But the, the, the striking display of what we're going to see Jesus do teaches us something about the, dev the divine power of Christ. The fact that Jesus, by his power, could heal a man from leprosy was an awesome demonstration of his power because no physician could do it. Pretty much if the physician diagnosed you or you diagnosed yourself with leprosy, uh, very rarely did you come back from that. Now, I think that it's, it is intentional that it's put right here that Jesus displays one of his great abilities to heal and it demonstrates his divine power by healing a man who has leprosy. Again, leprosy, a type of sin. Leprosy, a type of defilement and corruption. An outcast of society this man would have been. Again, we'll get more into this, but notice what it says about this healing in, in verse 3. Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. Jesus, in two things, heals this man by a touch and by his words. Now, the one issue that we have here that we'll begin to see is that in an instant, this man is healed and Jesus cleanses this man's leprosy. It was extremely difficult to cure. Now, if this leprosy had gone on for too long, the longer you had this disease, the harder it was to cure. 
Now, just like today, physicians can grant relief to certain situations and certain conditions. But oftentimes, all they can do is give relief. They can't give healing. Again, when we think about what's happening here, I want you to, again, take notice of a couple things that are happening here. Jesus is being followed, and behold, there came a leper. Now, here's where we start to see some difference. And worshipped him. Now, this is pretty peculiar that a man who is in the condition that this leper is comes to Jesus and worships him. We are looking at a sinner who needs mercy. I asked us the question at the beginning, how can a sinner obtain mercy? In order for a sinner to even begin to understand the obtaining of mercy, a sinner has to understand how can I or how must I approach Christ? Mercy, again, as we've learned, is not an obligation of God. God was no, under no obligation to heal this man's leprosy. Just coming to him did not obligate Christ to heal him. I think we all would probably agree. There were thousands, maybe, of healings that we don't read about in the Scripture, and maybe thousands of healings that never actually took place. There's kind of this idea that every single person who came to Jesus for a healing was healed. Well, here's all that we know. Only the ones that are given us in Scripture, we see a healing. But there would have been many who would have come to Jesus at various times, and maybe he did or maybe he didn't heal them. But what I want us to look again is that word, and look at this leper's approach to Christ. There came a leper and worshipped him. When we see the word worshipped, what do we mean by the word worship? Worship is a demonstration of adoration. Uh, when we think about worship today in the contemporary church, oftentimes people think of worship and what do they immediately go to? The singing. They go to the song service. Again, we just learned a wonderful, we didn't learn a wonderful new hymn that speaks of, often speaks much about the glory of what Jesus Christ can do. Worship is not just the expression of it. I might be in some way worshiping God when I sing, but true worship is not about the music and it's not about even the words. It's about an adoration of the person. Now here's this person covered in sores who approaches Jesus and worships him. I believe there really is a lesson here. We're looking at an example of a man who came to Christ and ultimately found mercy. Now what do we, what do we attempt to say around here all the time? We tell people who are not yet converted... We tell them to come to Christ. We tell them to run to Christ. We tell them, don't stop. Don't do anything. Come running to Christ and throw yourself and beg Him for mercy. Beg Him to save you. Repent and beg Him to save you. This man, we learn a lot from the leper. We learn a lot about the approach to how a man who needs to obtain mercy must approach Christ. But the first thing we notice about this leper 
is not his sores, but about the fact that he worshiped Christ. Now, as I mentioned to you, the two other accounts in Mark and also in Luke actually give a little bit different. So if you'd like to turn over there, I want to show you just some differences in this. And again, this is where people who don't really know their Bible like to say things like, see, I told you the Bible's filled with contradictory stories. Because here's a couple different accounts. Look at Mark 1, verses 40 through 45 first, and I want you to notice just the difference that we have here. And this teaches us a little bit about the approach. And a leper came to him, beseeching him. Okay? Beseeching him. That's an interesting word. That, that word has got the idea here of, of to plead with, to beg Okay, so this, this leper comes and he's, he's, begging, he's begging God and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. Now, we notice a little bit different. Here, the leper now is being described that when he came to Jesus, it doesn't say that he worshiped him, but it does say that he knelt down or kneeling down to him. So, what does this teach us about worship? What does this teach us about who God really is? Well, let me invite you to go over to Luke chapter 5 and let's look at that account just to get another perspective of the same account and the same leper approaching Christ. And notice his posture. Notice what he's doing. Luke 5, verse 12. And it came to pass when he was in a certain city. Now notice the, notice the description in this one that's not there in Matthew and it's not there in Mark. When it came to pass, he was in a certain city. Behold, a man full of leprosy. Now, why is this important? Because full of leprosy means this man was most likely at the stage where nobody comes back from leprosy. Okay, this is not a man that's just got a couple of sores. This is not just a partial corruption. This is not just a partial defilement. This is a man who's full of leprosy, which means most likely he was absolutely covered in sores from head to toe. He's full of leprosy, and notice how we see him. And when who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And he put forth his hand and touched him saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. Well, let me just say this right here. If a person had leprosy, you don't ever touch him. But Jesus touched this man. Full of leprosy. Mark tells us he was full of compassion. Jesus having compassion. Stretched out his hand and touched him. The leper shows us how he approached Christ. He approached him worshiping. How did he do that? How did he demonstrate that? He demonstrated that by kneeling and falling down on his face. That is the posture of true worship. Biblically, we're only supposed to worship God. Now, there's controversy by commentators of new and commentators of old who say this about the leper. The leper had no idea what he was doing. 
The leper just responded because he had heard that this man could heal. So he figured that he would just act the part. I take the opposite position. I believe with everything I am that this leper knew exactly who this man was. Now, he may not have known everything about him, but he knew of something about Jesus. This man has the power to heal me from my condition. Now, again, remember, people in his condition don't come back from leprosy. So we see this picture of adoration. We see by the exposition of our text here in Matthew 8 and from what we see in Mark and Luke, falling on his knees, falling on his face. This outward gesture of kneeling was exhibited by the leper as a token of reverence. Now, I'm playing kind of both sides of the coin tonight, okay? Because I want you kind of to see what's happening here. It was very common among the Jews as a sign of respect, okay? That they would actually exhibit some of these things. Uh, They would kind of kneel down. They would actually bow before each other. It was an act of reverence. So uh, it was ceremonial. So some have said, oh, all he was doing was showing reverence to Jesus because that's the Jewish thing to do. Granted, uh, that certainly could have been the case. But that's the reason why many people say that the leper did not really intend to render Christ divine worship, but he was doing nothing more but just giving him respect because even the Jews believed that Jesus was a prophet of God. They just refused to acknowledge that he was God. Is everybody following? So so for many, this was just an act of traditional respect. Now, I think you and I could look at this tonight and we could say, all right, which position are we going to take? Are we going to take the position that he fell on his face and worshiped Christ because he knew who he was? Uh, But here's where I want to begin with this. Regardless of what this man's intent was, in order for a sinner to obtain or find mercy, he's got to come to Christ in the right manner. Now, that right manner is an acknowledgement of understanding who Jesus Christ is. If I just come to Jesus Christ because I think he's a healer, and that's my only reason for coming to him, I've not approached Christ in the right way. So, for example, someone is diagnosed with a a terminal disease, and someone tells them, listen, in order for you uh, to to have this this cancer or this terminal disease removed, what you need to do is you got to get to Jesus because he can heal you. If the sinner just goes to Jesus just to have the cancer removed, the sinner does not truly understand what mercy is, nor do they fully understand why they need mercy. Right? So this man, if he's come with the right intent, he has some idea that he's worshiping. Now, my position is, is the fact that Jesus... Jesus is actually referred to as being worshipped by the leper. I firmly believe that this man knew that Jesus was the Christ. Now again, can I prove it all the way throughout Scripture? Maybe not. But the fact that the Bible uses the term worshipped is an indication that this man certainly knew what he was doing. What's interesting is not every healing event in Scripture do we see that phrase being used. 
where we see other healings where it says, and they, they, they bowed down and worshipped him. We don't see that on every account. But in this account, we see it. So, whether or not this man truly understood what he was doing, we do need to understand that whatever condition we're in, whatever our state is, whatever our desire is, Jesus Christ is in fact God Almighty and He is worthy of our worship. Now this man obviously had a medical situation, but we see his approach is certainly one that he recognizes something about this Jesus. Back to the text in Matthew 8. As he's worshiping him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. The leper is not saying, if you can. He says, if you will. There's a grand difference between if you can and if you will. If I was to go to Jesus and say, if you can save me, I am somehow suggesting that he may not have the capability of doing that. This leper uses the word, if you will, thou canst make me clean. So whatever this man acknowledged, this man's approach to Christ is he recognized the Lord Jesus Christ in this manner. He calls him Lord and he acknowledges that this man has the ability to grant mercy. Mercy is a sovereign act of God. When I say I deserved mercy, I make a false statement. Because I didn't deserve mercy. You didn't deserve mercy. It was God's sovereign act of mercy that saved my soul. I believe that the reason the leper before he ever even is healed is because he recognized the gift of mercy and that's what caused the leper to fall down and worship him. Watch the words. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. If you will. Folks, I think everybody here would be in agreement with this statement that salvation is by an act of God's will, not your will. This leper is acknowledging, Jesus Christ, this is your will and your sovereign authority as to whether or not you will grant me healing or not. Now that is quite different than the name it and claim it crowd we have, right? Because they say, if you approach God in a certain way, he can't say no to you. Now, he is under no obligation to heal that man, right? He's not under obligation. So this leper acknowledges the reality and says, listen, if you will, he acknowledges God's sovereignty in this choice. Salvation is certainly by an act of God's will, not our own will. Now, we could spend all of our time remaining tonight by talking about what was the feelings that moved the leper to pay reverence to Christ. Or we could look at this from the standpoint of what this leper continues to say, and I think that gives us a greater indication. 
He says, in Jesus, he says, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will. I will. Look at what's attributed to Jesus himself. What the leper is saying is, Lord, I know that you're able to cleanse me if you're willing. If you're willing, I know you can cleanse me. Now you realize there are people when they come to, they even hear the name of Christ, they're not even concerned if he's willing or not. They're not even concerned about approaching him. They have no desire for Christ because they don't understand or they falsely believe I have no need for Christ. But do you realize every living human being has a need for Christ? Every person who's ever lived has a need for Christ. Why does every person have a need for Christ? Because every person is a sinner. Every person needs the healing touch of Christ. This is not just an act of healing. Remember, Jesus did not just do these miracles so that people would follow him. He was declaring something about himself. Now, what do you think the leper must have thought? Or maybe, I don't do this often, but put yourself in this narrative for a minute. Imagine being the leper covered in the sores who sovereignly understands the sovereignty of God and says, I know that you're able, but are you willing? And Jesus looks at this leper and says two words, I will. Now, maybe we don't take that as seriously as we would if it were us. But can you see the beauty in what's happening here? The, 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 the leper says, you don't have to do this. I know you can, but you don't have to. Jesus doesn't say, I won't. He says, I will. And immediately by his words, he announces him clean. Be thou clean. When Christ says those words, I will or I am willing, he shows that in that very word, he claimed more for himself than belongs to man. He, by the mere words of Christ, his own words, restores health to sick men. Now what must a person who can do that what must they have? They have to have supreme authority. You know what's one of the other things wrong with the name it and claim it crowd? They're claiming to have supreme authority. I don't have supreme authority over any illness. You know, there are people who actually have been falsely led to believe that the reason that they are not healed from their terminal condition is just because they haven't been faithful enough. You realize that terminal condition, the only one who has authority to remove that condition is he who has supreme authority, which is Christ. Listen, if Christ says, be clean, there is no, that person might be clean, that person might be cleansed, they are cleansed. When Jesus Christ says to the sinner, your sins are forgiven, it's not a maybe, it's not a temporary, it is your sins are forgiven. Remember when Jesus was asked the question, 
And was told the statement was made, only God has the authority to forgive a man's sins. Jesus declared, for me to forgive sins or to heal a man, it's all the same. Why? Because I have supreme authority in both realms. Only Christ has the authority to save a man. Christ is the one that says he is willing. Whether the leper believed that Christ was the Son of God or that he had received his power in the same manner. This is why Moses is mentioned. Whether he had received the same power in the same manner as Moses and the prophets, he still entertains the thought that this Jesus, I don't know where he got his power from, I don't know if he got it the same way that he got that Moses got the power that he had when he had the staff in his hand, but I do know this. This man has within himself the ability to heal. But the leper does speak with a level of condition. Often people make the mistake of saying that God saves a man unconditionally. Is that true? Is it truly unconditional? Or is there a condition that actually has to be met? Now, the way we answer that question depends on how we view what that condition is. The condition is, if Christ says, I will or I won't. We have to get away from the idea, the understanding that everything that we think God we can demand of God that he just has to give that and give in to our demands. The leper said, if you're willing, you're able. Listen, it's not inconsistent with what we pray. We, when we pray the prayer of faith, uh, we're praying with faith. We're praying with belief. But we should never expect from God more than what God has promised. What has God promised? God has promised that his will will be done. Right? So if I pray the prayer of faith, and I pray, Lord, your will be done, that's his promise. But I should not pray outside of the boundaries of God's will. I should not expect God to go against his own will and give to me my demand. But oftentimes we pray amiss because we pray and we're trying to supersede God's will. Now, some of you have been through this. Some of you have been through watching a loved one ill. You've watched someone go through terrible circumstances. Uh, we've gone through that personally. We've watched, we've watched loved ones die who we prayed for and prayed for and prayed for. And we asked God to raise them up. We asked God to heal them. We asked God to take away the cancer. And when those individuals died, it was not because we weren't praying. It was because that was the will of God. That their life at that moment, that exact precise moment, God in his authority called that person home. Our prayers did not go unanswered. God's will was done. So you know how we pray for that loved one? I know you're able. And if you're willing, would you heal this person? But if he doesn't, 
it doesn't mean that God did not answer prayer. Remember, prayer is not about getting what you want. Prayer is about making God's will your will. True prayer is about saying, God, make your will my will. So when I begin praying, I'm praying for your will. Now, is this man praying? We're not told if he's praying or not. But we do see here that this leper did not have some supernatural communication to him or any promise that when he went to Christ, that Christ would in fact do everything he demanded. In other words, it would have gone, it would have been improper for that leper to go to the Lord and to go beyond the condition that Jesus Christ said, if I'm willing. That may be a little bit deep of a concept, but I want us to see that. I don't think we're at liberty to say that this man actually offered a prayer. There are people that take the position that when he said, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean, that he went into a spirit of prayer. I don't think we can say that with 100% certain that he was praying, but I do know this. He did, he was convinced of the power of Christ. Listen, when a sinner comes to Christ for salvation, they're coming with an acknowledgement that I believe that Jesus Christ has the power. No doubt this leper had in his mind and understood that this Jesus has the power to cure my leprosy. But you know what? The leper still had a level of uncertainty when he came to Christ because he didn't know the will of Christ. Does that make sense? To know the will of God is to understand that when I've come to Christ for healing, I know what I want. I know what my expectation is. But it's not up to my will. It's up to His will. Now let's just touch on this. I said we would not get through this, so we're just going to look at this. Just notice again what Jesus says here. And Jesus put forth His hand and touched Him. We understand that under the law, the touch of a leper was infectious. So if I did not have leprosy, to touch that person with leprosy, I could expect that most likely leprosy was coming to me next. Christ himself had the ability and possesses the ability to repel or push away all of that corruption. There are people who have falsely said this is where Jesus acted inappropriately because Jesus, by touching this man, polluted himself and became a transgressor of the law. Listen, when Jesus took on flesh like ours, Genesis 2.23 tells us that we might be the flesh of his flesh. Understand something that Jesus, when he reaches out to this leper, I love what it says. He stretched or put forth his hand. Matthew or Luke uses the terminology, stretched out his hand or stretched out his arm. But I want you to think about something as we kind of bring this to a close for tonight. Think about how far the Lord Jesus Christ came from heaven 
to reach forth for us. You know, nobody I think here probably looks at themselves as being full of leprosy. Being full of corruption and full of defilement and full of pollution. But if we could truly see what we are without Jesus Christ, we would be sickened by what we really see. If we truly understood just how deep the depravity runs in us from the soles of our feet to the crown of our head, if we truly understood what Jesus has done in coming down and reaching down for us, we can look at this leper and say, man, that was an awful condition to be in to have leprosy. Do you understand how awful we are in our sin apart from Christ willingly having mercy on us? Not only did Jesus stretch forth His arm to us, but He did not contract a single spot of sin from touching us. Now, if you were to touch the leper, you most likely would have gotten it yourself. Jesus did not take on the stain of our sin. He still retained His perfect innocence. But yet, in that taking Reaching out for us, he took away all of our impurities, all of our sin, all of our corruption, and gave us his righteousness. Now, one of the things that I found so interesting, and I think this is what we're going to talk about, this is what we'll deal with next week. Jesus could have healed this leper without ever touching him. His words would have been enough. So why... Why did Jesus touch this man? I want to leave you with that, thinking about that for next week. Why did he touch him? If Jesus could have done it all with a word, why did he touch him? I'll give you a hint. I think it's what we found when we read in the passage in Mark. Matthew doesn't use the word, but Mark uses the word compassion. Part of that touch of Jesus was an act of compassion. That Jesus Christ was willingly able to heal this man's leprosy and at the same time he demonstrated great compassion to him by touching him. This really ought to excite us to the goodness of God. And we'll look at the, we'll look at the second half of this next week, but really I want you to think about the beauty of this story. And then we'll talk also about why Jesus gave him such specific instructions. Specific instructions that when we read in other accounts, the leper did not obey. (laughs) There's a beautiful story. There's a beautiful thought that's in that as well. So we'll cover that next week. So if you want some, some time this week to study a passage I'd encourage you to study the passage that we're looking at, Matthew 8, verses 1 through 4. Look at Mark 1, 40 through 45, and then also Luke 5, 12 through 16. And uh, maybe you'll be uh, encouraged by that. Let's go ahead and pray, and then I'm going to give you just a, a brief couple of words as we go. But let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word tonight, Lord. And what an amazing story this is. Lord, just to think about the condition of this leper, to think about... Uh, who Jesus Christ is, and just the compassion and the willingness uh, that Jesus Christ displayed in dealing with this man. 
Lord, I am certain that we all here tonight uh, need to be reminded of just the importance of our own compassion towards others. Father, may it be instructive to us, but uh, Lord, may we also understand and remember the power of sin, that we have been saved from the corruption and saved from the power of sin and the dominion over our, in our lives. Uh, but Lord, we live in a fallen world. But even as the world says, that which defiles a man comes from the inside, not from the outside. Uh, Lord, may we never think ourselves to be above uh, the need to repent or the need to uh, put to death the flesh that so easily rises up in us. Lord, thank you tonight for what we've learned already. And we look forward to uh, next Wednesday just digging in even deeper uh, into this story between Jesus and the leper. Uh, we thank you for this night. Thank you for uh, all that you're doing. And it's in Christ's name I pray and ask these things. Amen. If you'd like, I'm going to just read a, a section from the book of James. If you want to just turn there and follow along. Um, I, I came across this today and it's just, it just reminded me and I thought I'd uh, share it with us again. Beginning there in James chapter 4 verse 7. We'll read this passage and then we'll be on our way. I needed this reminder myself today, so I hope this will be a help to you. James 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a, such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I think it's a powerful passage to leave us with tonight. Again, I appreciate you being here tonight. We'll look forward to